Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs, and welcome to Warrior Dash Show's second stream. It's our premium podcast hour, you know, untarnished jewel out here, shall we say. We're putting the high-quality goods right in front of you all the time for you to have a good look at. And today's no exception. We're going to be talking about Jewel of Richard episode three, but, you know, I can't really do this kind of stuff alone, you know, as much as I'd like to, because I'm just, you know, a dork, really. Uh, so, of course, joining me as always from across the pond, he's a good lad, close to my heart, it is the Soul Doctor. We're here to do our own version of Run the Jewels 3. <laughs> good stuff, man. Good stuff. So, yes, uh, we're going to be talking about Julia Richard episode 3, the case of the cat's eye. I think the cat's eye's insight is called, as a matter of fact. And, you know, you yourself, listening at home or wherever you may be doing so, you may potentially have come into this uh, episode, you know, cold. You might not know, for example, about us or our format. So I'll give you the lowdown. So we just, you know, we're all in agreement here. Second stream, you know, is our format where we go straight into the juicy talking points about a particular episode, rather than doing our usual format where we elaborate on the plot, for example, we do polls, we do live streams, etc. This is all really about the meat. This is the main course. This is the rump steak, so to speak. Where appropriate, we will give context for events in the episode itself, so that way you're clear on what we're talking about. But otherwise, we would advise you to actually watch the episode firstly, just so you can have a complete picture of what's going on before we dive right into this. So, uh, let's talk firstly about patron questions in this episode, because uh, indeed, you know, we do have a patron and we have wonderful people who contribute to us every month. Thank yeah. you so much for continuing to doing so. That's really awesome. Thank you. And, you know, one of the perks of being a patron at a certain tier uh, of Warrior Dash Show is that you can ask us questions about episodes we cover week on week. So, without further ado, we'll go straight into the first one, which comes from GoGo Atomic Robot, which goes like this. Do you think there is any significance to Richard's line about love and compatibility being two different things? For quick context before we answer this, this is at the end of the episode. And Segi uh, has a line where he states, like, you know, you could really feel, you know, about, like, the love of, of a parent being passed down through a gemstone to their kid. Something to that effect. Uh, and he then leaves the room, but uh, Richard himself then uh, hints, you know, or says that out loud. Only to himself, like, Segi is not there, which I think is going to be key in our understanding of this line. So, um, Doc, do you want to handle this one first? Well, I think, I, I don't think it's a question of is there significance, but what what is the significance? I, I don't think that this is going to lead to nothing. You know, I think this will be connected. And I want to say that it's going to somehow be connected to Richard's own backstory with his own parents, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Like, indeed. you know... There are often situations where the kind of are you familiar with the love languages uh, as a thing? Like there are certain ways that people uh, really kind of uh, resonate with uh, being shown love or giving love, and not everyone speaks the same language. Like some is like giving gifts, some is affirmation, some is like mm. spending time. Um, it's sort of a pop psychology thing, but, um, yeah. mm. but, but, but it could just sort of be this and, and it can be like, I mean, it can sound sort of hokey, but like, you know, I've talked about before on the, um, the Evangelion slash Kino's journey essay I did about, mm -hmm. um, how difficult it can be for certain people like it, to not connect, like just to sort of live in this zone of miscommunication and, with a parent and child, that can be really hard. Like if, uh, I mean, I think of my own stepfather uh, who like very much expressed his love by like, you know, working very, very long hours so he could provide money for us to, to do things and to live comfortably. Mm. And on his off time, he would do things like build us things like, um, which is really cool. Like he built a wrestling ring for our toys he built uh, a treehouse for us, um, that kind of thing. He's a very handy, handsy sort of like guy, like, and that was what he enjoyed doing, building. But um, what I wanted from him was like affirmation. Yeah, and that wasn't really something that he was kind of by default emotionally equipped to give a lot. So 
although he was showing love in his own way, we kind of missed each other in in a lot of ways in terms of our connection and our our bond as as father and son and like maybe maybe this is that right that like the love can be there um when you know a parent is is passing things down to a child but but maybe not the compatibility maybe the parent is just too different and can't really give the child what they need even though they love them i agree yeah i think that it's, it's something that we have to kind of navigate here with this particular point because you could read this in some way as Seiji arguably missing the entire point of the story in which he's just <laughs> witnessed firsthand and has actively commented on in relation to his own past. Well, let's um, be real. Seiji is kind of daft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got rocks in his head, all right, but they're not the precious gemstone variety, <laughs> if you follow my meaning. Um, but I think the way I'm, I see it is this, like... Um, I think that the the events of this episode uh, surrounding um god I've already forgotten the kid's name I'm so sorry Hajime um, Hajime that's it yeah surrounding Hajime um I think that they are a momentary thing because of a time of crisis of sorts in his family whereas I think Richard's discussion is more a general like you know ongoing relationship thing that is just the norm if you will um so I think that that's what reconciles Seigi's like reaction there, you know, to you know, and then contrasted to Richard's comment in that we're looking at a very momentary slice of a, of a father and son's life when they are, you know, going through a rough time for both of them. Let's be let's be fair here. Um, whereas I think that Richard's comment elaborates more on, you know, as you say, the norm of a relationship which is you know based on here's what I'm trying to do for you to show love and affection, but it is not the kind that you ultimately want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that in of itself, like, I think the line is probably hinting at Richard's own backstory. I mean, he does come from Sri Lanka, which is one of the most noticeable sources of raw, like, rare gemstones in the world. So between, you know, his origin point and where he is now... I defy this show to tell me that at no point did he, like, have a history that's deeply and richly involved with the art of gemcraft. I defy that. Like, if you told me he learned it in the last week, I'd be like, nope. (laughs) Nope. But I have to wonder then, you know, like, as I've said before about the idea of gemstones, you know, like, being passed down through family members and such, and the meaning that they impart, like... And also, you know, maybe again the history of Sri Lanka itself, because I think that it was mentioned in, at least in the Wikipedia article on the country when I read up on it, and possibly something I brought up in the previous podcast, I have slept since then, I'm sorry to say, uh, that Sri Lanka was indeed involved in the bloody civil war for many, many years, until 2009, if I recall correctly. So, I think this is, again, also key to, like, I think the key thing here is that say he doesn't hear this comment. It's strictly for our benefit as the audience. So I think there is indeed meant to be not so much, although it's certainly a, you know, broad reflection on the nature of, you know, familial relationships and, you know, uh, affection, you know, and types thereof, you know, and what people want out of those kind of things. I do think it covers that. It touches on that, certainly. But I think it's more specifically something about Richard's history and an insight into it, which is yeah. interesting in its own right, because earlier in the very same episode, uh, Segi reveals, like, hints, or rather hints at, when he's talking to Hajime, like, that, he, you know, he has a father of his own who's you know, similarly been a liar of sorts, you know. Right. And Richard is taken aback by that. Like, credits the voice actor there for him. Like, he says, just says his name, but he says like a, oh, uh-huh. in a way. Like, I didn't expect this. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's an interesting how, you know, also in turn, like both of our lead characters, it's not just them simply doling out, like, you know, the solutions to this various people's problems when they come in with gems, but they're in turn learning and changing as a result. And indeed, that's another part of what we'll get to when we talk about Seiki and Hajime's, like, uh, dynamic, if you will. Hmm. So I look, forward, I look forward to seeing that expanded upon, you know, as the show goes along. Because I think, mm-hmm. like, for all that we have, like, you know, all these individual characters come in, I think it would be a stretch... And I'm sure that, uh, okay, K, our, you know, uh, our Julia Rich, the aficionado, That's right. might, you know, protest otherwise through superior knowledge. But I would, for example, completely see, like, if the final case file of this, uh, of this show was Richard himself. Like, can okay. you imagine, like, the final episode where, like, Richard gives, say, like, one of his own gemstones? It's, it's his, personally. 
and says, what do you make of this? You know, and then it be, more becomes, what do you make of me? I can see that being a thing. Hmm. I'm unsure. Um, I don't do think, think it's... it's strictly, you think it's strictly going to be external people, like, and not um, Richard himself, who's going to become under the microscope, if you will? Well, I think he may do, but not directly. Like, I think mm. we will... If I had to guess, right? I'm not saying yours is off the table. I think it's plausible, but... If I I would give better betting odds to the idea that he will be discovered by us through his working on behalf of other people. Mm, I see. Yeah, I think that might be better overall as well. Like, it, uh, nonetheless, I think that whatever way it will pan out, uh, we are going to ultimately learn more about him, which we should. You know, there's. There's a certain, like, appeal to a character who is as enigmatic and, like, you know, almost, how should we say, mystical as Richard, mm-hmm. um, to want to, like, peel back the veil, so to speak, to see what makes him tick. Well, the last um, episode, <clears throat> the last episode was going to be him going, well, I think I'm done with gyms now, because he really did, like you said, just learn it last week, and it's just a phase. He's just a renaissance man. <laughs> He's just like, now on to the next thing. How about, I don't know, rocket ships? Then... You know, my planet, I must go, my planet needs me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, I could see that. I could also totally see him doing something silly, like, you know, the final scene is just of him, like, with a bowl of cereal, but instead of cereal, it's just, like, rubies or something. Oh, God. Just eating them. Mm. <laughs> I'm becoming what I've always desired. <laughs> you are what you eat, Seigi. Good God. <laughs> oh. anyway, Where do we go from that there? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll be, we'll go on to the next Patreon question. There you go. We're, we're safe. We're good. Good. Um, but yeah, thank you for the, very much for that question. Go go silent robot. So we're going to move over to Kate Rose, who brings two questions to us. Say one, one pair of cat size, if you will. Uh, <laughs> first one: What do you make of Sagi's deep moment about bad fathers? I think we've probably elaborated on this already by proxy of you talking about Richard's own observation about love and compatibility. Um, but I think that, you know, this will lead into, I might as well cover my, one of my talking points. Actually, I, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. I was going to do the same. So good. Cause I think this overlaps with this. Mm-hmm. I actually really like this episode for one specific reason above all else, which is that I can't really name a lot of fiction that I've consumed where the father is, how to put this, like, you know, not a complete twat, but he's also still like, you know, in the wrong. Like, there's yeah. a complexity to the, the wrongness of Hajime's father's actions, like, you know, that clearly made with the best of intentions, like, both in terms of, like, him taking the cat away to not telling Hajime to then getting Hajime the cat's eye. Like, all of that, you know, made with good reason in his mind, mm-hmm. but completely and utterly at odds with the reality of who Hajime is and what Hajime wants. And I find that fascinating to think about because a lot of fiction, you know, when it tends to be about bad parents... They're usually just straight up abusive or mm-hmm. awful or vile. You know, they're not in this kind of more, how should we say, realistic, nuanced way where they are guilty really of only being ignorant, I would yeah. say. Like, it was just like they made this one bad choice, you know, because mm. you can look at him not telling his son that, you know, ah, uh, well the cat has a chance to make mommy sick while she's pregnant. So the cat's just going to stay at the neighbors. Like, I I feel like it's pretty obvious that explaining that to Hajime would make him worry less than pretending the cat ran away. But, but, but I guess that, you know, you, but your reaction there, I guess proves that, you know, the father wasn't completely out to lunch here. So like, uh, he just, you know, ended up making a bad decision. Um, I, I think that the key thing to note here is that, I mean, this show, like, its main motif, if you will, is that gems and people are equivalent in that they must be appraised more deeply to get a true understanding of them. Mm-hmm. And that is true of Hajime, who a lot of the dialogue between him and Seiji, for example, is, you know, Seiji assuming that he is just a lost child. You know, he, he's 10 years old. He doesn't know jack about anything but Hajime carries himself with more knowledge than you would expect of a kid of his age he clearly knows what he's talking about and indeed he tries to present himself in an adult way yes they yeah. really um struck a good balance with this character by the way um yes i would like, agree it, it, you know many like you were just saying about about dads you know many is the 
story that introduces the precocious child character, the child who wants to be an adult, and uh, they could be pretty pretty maddening because it's really easy to make them really annoying, too adult-like, too childlike. Uh, those kind of characters oftentimes to me can be very tedious, but Hajime was really likable, and I thought really, you know, I don't know, it felt realistically portrayed because he definitely uh, put up a good front, but had Mm. moments of weakness, e.g. when he was revealed the fucking ball and sweet cabinet. Like, holy shit, Richard. Oh, when, oh, <laughs> like, when, he, oh, when he sniggers at um, Segi's, like, goofy-like face, yeah, for example. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like, the, the, this is, I, I think, the more I think about it, the more I really like how nuanced his, 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 he's written as, because he wavers. Like, he, you know, mm-hmm. comes across as mature, then childlike again, then mature, then childlike. Like, it's yeah. a constant shift in tone depending on what they're talking about. He's not constantly uptight, nor is he on the opposite side of it constantly, like, you know, childlike or immature. And I think that works really well with his characters because, I mean, you know, his dad has failed him in his eyes. He's got to step up. He's got to do something, you know, he's got to take action. And, you know, fair place to police for doing that, even if it was kind of a bit of a circuitous way of solving things, you know, going and getting another gem. Um, indeed, how how did he plan to pay for that, I wonder, you know, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, in, to go back to your question there, Kay, about Sagi's deep moment about f- bad fathers... I have to wonder that because Seiji himself, like, does, you know, how should we call it, uh, underestimate um, Hajime at various points, like, I have to wonder if his own confession about, like, or rather his own moment of, like, hey, bad father's a shite, um, like, maybe that reflects on, like, something much more serious in his case. Maybe Seiji's own father was the stereotype I mentioned before of the abusive father trope in fiction. Um, Who can say... Um, but I think that, you know, in trying to find ways to connect with Hajime, I think that Seigi at least has latched onto that common element, even if there are differences in it, much in the same way as how the cat size of this episode have different colours. Mm. Yeah. Tying everything together, just weaving it all together, you know, I'm doing criticism. I got this. <laughs> I'm doing a criticism. It's great. I love it. Um, but yeah, I, again, think much like with Richard, we will learn more about because Seigi, like, has already pretty much had and done his arc with his mother and his grandmother. But we didn't actually hear anything about his father during that time, if I recall correctly. No. And clearly not. that's played a part in, you know, his life as well. Um, indeed, I have to wonder, funnily enough, like, if you think about it, like, Seiji's grandmother was poor and destitute. Probably didn't have, like, her, you know, her husband or a partner at the time, or at least the father of Seiji's mother around. We didn't see Seiji's father at all in the flashbacks, like, you know, so he's younger. I have to wonder, like, you know, if that, again, is meant to tie into, like, the idea of, hey, since the father, like, is Seiji himself going to be a bad father in theory because, you know, all the fathers in his family line have been bad? There's potential here to be mined from this. I'd be curious to see what comes next. But, again, we've got hints for future things to come, Mm -hmm. and I like that. Yeah, and it's to, I think, establish some commonalities between he and Richard, you know, because Mm -hmm. they both have the shared experience of our parents were shitty, you know, our home life, not great. Um, I'll get into my talking point now because it is relevant to, to the patron question here. So one thing I really appreciate about this episode and appreciate that anytime it's done in fiction, um, I know I've talked about this before. Maybe it was in relation to the promise Neverland. But that was last year, so I get to talk oh, about you, it oh, again. Do you, oh, do you reckon Hachibe, like, you know, did he escape from Grace House? Is that... 100%, you know, that is exactly that, is that, is that. Is that why, you know, his, his father's adopted him, like, you know, he's got that number on his neck. He he is... He's, he's, seen, he's seen some shit. He is Ray. That's, oh, that's man, can you I'm imagine saying. if... Can you imagine if <laughs> Phil turned up at the jewelers? <laughs> Richard's eyes would go, like very tiny he'd become very pale because he can see he knows he knows you've seen some shit lad (laughs) you're not human i can't help you (laughs) um so be gone from this office abominable horror uh okay so this episode and the point about kate's question well um i think again 
that this moment is to tie uh establish some common ground between Segi and uh richard but i think it also serves another purpose and i think this episode does a great job at showing us or, or, or demonstrating that a child's problems are real problems um, yes we as adults uh, I think are very guilty of dismissing uh, children's problems and scientific studies have been done that show um, the stress anxiety and worry that a child feels about their own problems um, easy as it may be for us to look at them and laugh or, or you know roll our eyes and be like tiny problems that stress, anxiety, and worry is equivalent to what we as adults feel about our own problems that no one is, you know, shaking their head at, or at least like we don't when we're experiencing them. Um, we or it's like these problems are very real. And uh, all that's different is just perspective. And that's not an excuse we like very much when applied to, I don't know, say God, right? Like all oh, the the problems of human beings like to guts like in the grand scheme of things it's no big deal it'll all be made right at the end uh at the end of all things the ledger uh hmm. of good deeds and bad deeds will be set right and all these little problems that you think were really big problems you'll be nothing because you'll just be in eternity forever being super happy and it's like well that's really dismissive of like the problems i'm having now they're really fucking giving me grief hmm. and this is how kids are feeling and and so I think to dis to to have a uh, that kind of um, attitude, a sort of uh, belittling, uh, is is bad <laughs> and and not uh, not a good thing to do for for not a good look for adults here. And so in this show, I think does a great job of yeah, Hajime's problem, like you know we you could. Like Segi tries to dismiss it, like early on, very much like pat on the head, like you'll, Are you it'll a be lost okay, little kid. child. Would you like a lollipop? Mm-hmm. And it'll be okay, like kitty, you'll be good. It's not a big deal. Pat, pat, pat. You're you're okay. But um, but it's something in that Segi, or sorry, that Hajime says, like strikes a nerve, and Segi's like, oh my god, like I remember, like I remember how I felt when my father neglected me and, and didn't listen to me and how bad it hurt. And it's not just that the problem is bad because it creates problems in adulthood because of ripple effects. It's bad then even for the kid. And, you know, it has those ripple effects. And so, yeah, I mean, kudos to this episode, I think, for, you know, through Sege telling us, like, you know, holy you cow, like, kids problems may look small from way up here you know and in the adult perspective but but they are real and they are uh really impacting these children like these kids aren't like they're people you know what i mean <laughs> they're not like dogs yeah. or something that that we just uh throw a biscuit to or whatever they're real people with real problems that should be taken seriously uh because the emotional consequences can be very serious I would agree. And I'm glad this is one of the reasons why I'm glad you're here with me, Doc, like beyond just everything else, is that you have actual experience of being a father. So you can relate to this material infinitely more than I can, just on that basis alone. And I certainly didn't think of that when you said it, but you're right. Um, it is very easy to dismiss something as simple as that problem, like, you know, oh, my cat's gone missing. Um, as, you know, oh, it's, it's nothing, whatever. You know, yeah, get, get, get over, over it. it. Yeah, get over, get over it. it. Deal with it, you little punk. I've like, got real problems. You know, I've got money problems or whatever. But like, uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm glad that you phrased that because right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, that it is. I mean, there are certainly. I'm not going to say that every problem must be treated as like deathly end of the world serious that comes out. Be it from kids or adults, some things are overblown. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't at least, you know think about it first before coming to that assessment rather than just dismissing it offhand without a consideration just on the basis that they are a kid. Totally. I mean, yes, you you definitely have to uh, treat them on a case-by-case -case basis, but 
I think it's what's hard is to have like genuine empathy and try to kind of step into the shoes of the child. I mean, I know I fuck this up all the time and just like, what, how, like, what is their perspective on this? How are they feeling? Um, for real, like it's, why is it so, so dire? Like, are, is it really seriously affecting them or are, you know, some there's, there's tantrums and then there's real, real problems. I mean, I'm telling you, my, my son has had, uh, you know, he's seven and he's old enough to where I can definitely see he's got my tendencies in terms of being an anxious person. And some, mm. of, some of the things that have just been brutal for him in terms of his anxiety, it's like if he were to just tell me about it and I didn't kind of explore it and try to suss it out and like figure out like, what's bothering you? How bad is it bothering you? Like, what do you need for me emotionally? Like I would have, you know, been like, oh, like that's it. Like if you write it down on paper, you know, like there's a library project and it's like, okay, mm. I hope that's, that's nothing. But for all these different reasons, it's like this huge thing and it really is affecting him. So I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I think, yeah. Like you were saying, like just because, just because children are children, you know, that's not like sort of by default, we can dismiss all their problems. Hmm, agreed. Okay, uh, we have another question from Kate here. Uh, please share whether you think Richard is showing some. Uh, um, <laughs> Richard's showing you to see cells, see cells of the season. Whether you think Richard is displaying some Sherlock influences based on this episode's quirks and comments. You know what? Give me another year of doing this podcast and I'll just be babbling. I'll just be babbling and frothing at <laughs> the mouth. That's it. Like, you know, I'll just have to start rolling my face on the keyboard and having a touch type, or sorry, a dixophone or something do it for me. Like, you know, one of those speech synthesizer software things. Ah, oh, shit. Anyway. Auto, uh, oh, we need an auto in-betweening. An auto shadowing. Oh, no No piece of software can, you know, can do that for me. I wish it could. Believe me. Um, right. Now, we, of course, just came off doing Kabuki Show Sherlock, but, of course, Kate is referring sure. to regular Sherlock, of which I have some knowledge of. And I think that one of the things I noticed is that Richard, like, you know, he has all the answers quite early, but he's selective in when he brings them out, such as the value of the gem itself once, uh, you know, the uh, father and son leave, once Hajime and his father go. I think that's actually very key for something I'll talk about in a bit. Um, just bear that in mind. But that often was Sherlock's uh, skit as well, in that he would explain after the crime was dealt with, not unlike in actual Kabukicho Sherlock. Ugh, that reminds of that horse crap you know they would explain after the fact once the perpetrator or the issue was resolved how it was solved you know you'd have a hindsight moment and that's kind of something that we get here but i think that also like i don't really remember much of sherlock's specific eccentricities um in regards to you know <clears throat> uh say like likes and dislikes and tastes and such like that i mean say uh, richard certainly has his own of like making sure that his pantry is well stocked with various delicious treats and all that Although he would yeah. never admit it, of course. He would say, no, it's just for the customers. You know, we're just, you know, being accommodating. Special to cheesecake. No, I could go for one of them. I, that's for sure. That, that snack cabinet, dude. I, you could just tell from the packaging that, like, this is not, uh, you know, th these ain't little Debbie cakes. You know what I mean? This <laughs> is not like a drawer full of Hostess or uh, oh, a some, bag of Oreos. Some <laughs> Snickers bars. Like, these are just like prime you know uh uh artisanal baked goods <laughs> like such fancy packaging and mm. there's just a wall-to-wall -wall cabinet packed with them and i definitely mm. i definitely would react like hadrivan like who is this man who has <laughs> this like massive supply of unbelievably delicious baked goods mm -hmm. this is incredible um i'll add one other thing that i should note by the way this is only a theory because we don't see this in the episode proper, so just bear that in mind. But would you buy it, Doc, if I told you that I think and I theorize that Richard did have a matching cat's eye gem and simply didn't bring it out? Uh, I would buy that 100%. 
Yes. Because think about it then, like, he's already come to the conclusion of what needs to be done to help Hajime for his thing, yep. which is not simply to just give him a matching gems and send him on his way, but rather to point, you know, to, like, confirm a hypothesis he had, which is, it's not just any cat side gem he wants. He wants that specific one. And in turn, then draw that information out from there. Why that specific one? Where did this gem come from? Why is, like, you can see, like, how he's setting things up here. Um, so that's neat in of itself and very Sherlockian as well. Yeah, completely. Completely. And I, I feel like, just from what I know of Sherlock, that given... I... Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe various incarnations of the character wouldn't be as kind as Richard is. But I feel like well, it's... we know that we know that firsthand. <laughs> I know. Maybe it's. I think it's in keeping with the character that you know he would be the one to treat the child like an adult, and the Watson character will be the one to be like, "Hello, little child. Are you lost? Let's play some silly games." Like. You know, because I actually really like in this episode that, you know, Segi treats Hajime like a kid for a while. And Richard, mm-hmm. from the beginning, always kind of just treats him as uh, a person. And I thought we were yeah. going to get uh, an ageism thing from Richard because he's very, you know, all about the non-discrimination. But he doesn't say it out loud. But he definitely just treats you his know. concerns as he would anyone else. Um hmm. You know, and, and well, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe you could argue that him calling his dad behind his back was um, a little forward, that he might not do that with enough. But I think he would, actually. I think if mm. he knows what's best, he's going to just, like, pursue that course of action. Indeed. Uh, I want to note, by the way, I really like that that small exchange where he asks Hajime's name, and Hajime says, I don't have to give my name in a clothes shop. And Richard goes, yeah, actually, you're right. <laughs> Fair dues. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that, is, that was such a classy moment on his part. Well done to him. I agree. Um, so yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, also, you were mentioning about Sherlock, like, and how he doesn't, you know, disrespect children on the basis they are children. I mentioned this in Kabuki Show, and I'll mention it here. Uh, Sherlock does rely on a group of children, I think, known as the Baker Street Irregulars. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So even in that, he doesn't, like, you know, turn them down as a source of information, like, because they can be quite helpful. I mean, he may so, be he may be an asshole to them, but it's not anything to do with their being kids. He'd be the oh, same exactly. asshole to adults <laughs> in the same way. Yeah, he he doesn't discriminate based on age. Let's put no. it he's he's an, he's an equal opportunity dickhead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right then. Um, well, I hope that's a decent answer for you there, Kate. Thank you very much for bringing your questions in. Uh, and indeed, if you yourself are a patron, or uh, indeed would like to consider coming a patron for our show, you know, and getting yourself involved in this. Um, feel free to ask us questions in our Discord. If you're on the, you know, wants to give uh, get on our patron, you can sign up for the free dollar tier or higher to be able to ask us questions week on week about Jeweler Richard or other works that we're covering, and we'll answer them live on air. Where right. uh, where would they go to do that? Where would they go to do that? They would go to patreon.com forward slash Warridesho. Brilliant. Simple as that. Brilliant. You know, I mean, we we could have put it on behind like this really really complicated hashtag and mm-hmm. have yourself some AR some ARG shit, but. We're nicer than that. We're good like that. We care about um, your experience, your convenience. Indeed, we don't. You know, we, we're like we're like Richard himself. You know, yeah. we'll make you comfy. You know, although I'm more like Sagi, and I'll probably ask way too many crowing questions and just be a general like dog throughout most of it. Oh well, that's my role in this podcast. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to talking points then. Um, I I'm going to go in with one that I've like hinted at uh, here and talking about the value of the gem itself because. Now, for me, Jeweler Richard, in a three-on-three, like, uh, continuing, you know, streak of this idea, is continuing to say it's not the fiscal value of something that matters, it is the meaning behind it that is important. Because, if you think about it, like, I, like as was mentioned in our Discord chat by our patrons, like, Hajime's father buying him a cat's eye gem, as, as one that is valued at 10 million yen, no less which is an eye-watering amount of money, or a cat's eye-watering amount of money, if you will. Ho-ho. <laughs> hey. uh, you know, that's not something you casually get for a kid. And the reading I take from this that I think is really interesting is that if you are wealthy, particularly if you're a wealthy parent, you can in theory think to yourself, hey, my kid's down. What do I do? I'll buy him a Nintendo Switch. I'll buy him the TV. I'll buy him this. I'll buy him that. You know, I'll, I'll get him a new car. And His so own and so island. Forth. Yes, you can be very materialistic about it. 
in terms of like, you know, a quick solution, a stopgap thing to solve, you know, this, you know, this moment of down, of down mood that my kid's having, you know, make everything better, buy him something pricey. But Richard here, the show that is, is saying, again, monetary value of these incredibly, like in real world terms, like, and indeed in real world proper expensive items is meaningless versus genuine empathy and connection between us. It's like I said in the previous episode about how the ruby's value, you know, was being artificially, uh, you know, enhanced, and that applied equally to uh, Mammy as well. And we get a similar sort of thing here, where I can see, in a kind of roundabout way, as someone who's not wealthy himself, like, hey, my kid's sad about losing his cat. I'll get him a cat sigh as a memento. You know, that'll remind him. That'll make him happier. And it doesn't. Because he missed out on all the context of why Hajime likes the cat so much. Mm-hmm. Which is why, of course, Hajime in turn is then seeking out a complimentary gem. Because at least, hey, you know what? Even even in trying to remind him of the, like, you know, the cat's existence, like he still screwed it up by not getting a second one. It's poor, not poor enough. Dad. Poor dad. It, but that's the thing, like, he's trying at least. But, like, again, that's the show's motif. Wealth and the exercising thereof is no substitute for just actually talking and connecting with people and understanding them. And I really like that. I mean, it'd be all too easy for this show to indulge in, like, you know, it's aesthetic and it's particularly its sense of refinement, like with Richard drinking royal milk tea, all the cakes he has. And he does that, like, you know, he obviously wants to present himself as a cultured individual. But that's not, you know, the end goal of the show to simply indulge in that permanently. It has a heart as well. And it's willing to say that that is more important than the very gemstones that it is focused on. And it continues that here. Super neat. Really like it. Yeah. Um, also, all Hajime wanted was, you know, his dad to be honest with him and trust him and treat him as, you know, a young man. And hmm. his dad kind of missed that. And it's... For a parent, it can be easy to miss when you are with your child every single day taking care of them. Sometimes these things sort of happen right under your nose and you can't, you can't. For instance, my five-year-old, I was just having a conversation with my wife yesterday. He has been a perennial thumb sucker since like the day he was born. Just hmm. loves to suck his thumb. He liked to suck his thumb with one hand and play with his ear with the other hand. It's very cute. Um, but like, she was like, yeah, you know, uh, I, if she was talking to my mother-in-law about him not sucking his thumb, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? What do you when mean? When did this happen? <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's just cold turkey quit a little while ago. Who's replaced my child with a oh. demon in human flesh? why and it's like well you know the dentist and he's gonna start starting school and and it's like oh my god like i had no idea and i'm just like i'm seeing him every day and so like totally sympathize with with pop here who is just watching his son grow up and and it's like he's still the little boy hajime yeah but i mean he's not (laughs) he's he's growing up and he wants more um to be treated uh, like not a little child and more responsibility and more trust. And uh, hmm. yeah. I-, I agree. And just to give two extra points of context on this, I think is important. Like is, the reason this all happens is because of a fear of toxoplasmosis, which is, you know, a parasitic like condition that cats can have that can in turn harm pregnant women. Mm-hmm. So the dad, you know, he probably read up about that or heard about it from say, you know, the, midwife or whoever i mean again i don't know i'm not a kid of my own so i don't know how the process goes you should probably talk about this instead <laughs> of me but who you consult with or the docs or whatever and he's like i'm not taking no chances yeah now i'll grant we one of our patrons i think this was al who, who pointed this out to us said that you can manage that without taking the cat out of the equation entirely um i'm willing to ignore that though i'm not going to go all cinema sinsy on this for, for many reasons mostly because i don't want to be associated with that fucking like you know cottage <laughs> industry of shame but <laughs> But um, I can understand, like, you know, that that is, an, like, that fear of, like, you know, his wife being pregnant isn't of itself an external source of pressure. I mean, even if the episode doesn't make that explicit. And indeed, think of it in turn from Atribe's perspective. New kid on the way. He's no longer important. Or, like, solely important, shall we say. Mm-hmm. That's but that's a thing in child psychology. You know, when a new kid comes along, the other one might feel a little neglected. Yep. And 
unfortunately, there's a kind of inevitability of that, but it's something that you as a parent have to mitigate. And in turn, toxoplasmosis. Doc, would you try and explain what that is to your, you know, your kids at Hajime's age? I would not. Like, probably not. No, it... It's like, how do you explain this ridiculously silly thing like that they might not even believe? Like, I would just is, say, I, if it was me, I would say, look, uh, milk here, that's it, the cat's name, Miruku, uh, milk is a stray. And because of that, uh, the doctor says there's a chance that uh, he could get mommy sick while she's pregnant. It doesn't mean milk is sick. It doesn't mean milk is bad. Um, there's just this chance that stray cats can give this sickness, this germ, to uh, to mommy while mommy is going to have uh, her baby here. So we're going to move milk to a different house. You can still go see him uh, or, or not, depending on what the doctor says. Um, and it'll just be mm. for a bit, and then he'll come back. And he'll be right as rain and good as new, and everything mm. will be solid. That That is how I would play it. Um, I would definitely not do the whole like, well, I guess he ran away, but he'll surely come back one day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose I can fairly criticize the episode for not shoring up the, I mean, the the, the bones are there. I can see the logical through line. Totally. But I think that there needs to be more time devoted to like Hajime's father's line of thinking on this. Um, maybe if he had like a private conversation with say Richard that we saw while say he was playing with Hajime, you could do that. But again, like, the problem that this show has above all else, in my opinion, is that it is having to abridge material. I, again, can't comment on if it, that is actually definitely happening here and what has specifically changed versus the novel. But it does feel like it's paced a bit too fast in all of its aspects. Uh, not so much that it's, like, really jarring, but it does mean that we don't have much breathing room for things like this, which would help flesh out, you know, moments where an audience member could, with some reasonable, you know, intent, like, react and say, I don't get it. Why would he do that? And I can see why he do that, but the show needs to also kind of say that, if you follow my meaning. Sure, sure. I, I'm not too hung up. I mean, like it. No, it doesn't. Me, me uh, it doesn't make. Uh, it's not that it doesn't make sense to me. It just it seems like uh, silly. But like, listen, I make bad, dumb choices as a dad like that all the time. Just, and it's not even that he made it. Like what he did was the in moving the cat was the right thing to do. But just like. In terms of how he was relating to his son, you know, he just fucked up, and that can be hard. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Um, all right, uh, have you got other talking point, Doc? Um, well, I, a thing that I liked about this episode, and uh, you, you, it sounds like you actually might not agree, um, but uh, to when I watched it, um, it did not feel as like heavy with sort of thick overt metaphor as the last mm. one like it was definitely there but um it wasn't so tightly interwoven with every single plot point uh, no i i uh, i do agree with you i mean the gem itself was not like a representation of hajime as a person mm-hmm. but more like you know as a how should we say a stand-in for something that gave Hajime great comfort. And and the episode two type thing can can be really neat. And I said last week I really like it, and that's true. But our, I think it was Kate in Discord that was talking about, um, you know, just wanting to follow the characters and the drama and the relationships. And I think this episode is stronger in, in that department. Like, it just is this really cool character study. It's this really well, we get, nice. We get to meet. We get to meet the character in question around which the <laughs> oh, that is, You know what? That is actually true. Um, uh, but no, it's um, yeah, it's just this nice, simple story of um, uh, a dad and son and their uh, struggle to relate, as shown in this one event. And mm-hmm. uh, we get some stuff about Segi, some stuff about Richard, some Tanimoto, um, which we, we should talk about the Tanimoto moment later. Oh, man. But, um, the Tani the tani moment. The Tani moment. This week's Tani moment. Um, but no, like, I, you know, it, it did not... Um, th- this episode, I, I, my brain felt freer to just kind of watch the story unfold 
and not kind of mm. investigate it for like how so how are all the different lines connected to what's being said about the gym um mm-hmm. so and i like uh both ways of doing it but i just um yeah i know i'm glad that. It, i'm glad it does alternate like you know because as i say i fear that the show could get stale if it indulges too much in the gem uh, person metaphor, you know, mm-hmm. over and over again repeatedly. Because uh, if you think about it, like, we've got kind of three different stories we've had thus far. We've had one about the legacy of a gem passed down between generations uh, and the ways in which, you know, we view that personally versus how other people view it. That was, of course, the first episode. Mm-hmm. Then we have the second one where gem as metaphor or analogy for person and how they were being forced into a place they did not want to be belong to be or you know to be someone they didn't want to be you know or with someone even mm-hmm. and then this one uh gem is substitute for genuine connection like it's using them well in my opinion um and i hope it continues to vary that up rather than relying on a, being a one or two trick pony as it were do you think that the show lacks thematic like carryover um because as you know you rightly point out that these are three different kinds of stories i'm just wondering if there's like a common thread in terms of the overall message maybe it is just that people and gyms are alike like, and they need to be examined well, closely well, it's like i say wealth is no substitute for genuine connection that's what it's got to cross to me thus far mm-hmm. yeah i see that i mean think about the episodes you've had like you know um the lady who jumped in front of the train uh, in the first episode because mm-hmm. the ring reminded her of like you know her being married to this man that she did not want uh you know again he bought that as a wedding gift very expensive complete and utterly you know hollow and meaningless she didn't care about it and indeed in turn the brooch you know for the for mammy in the second episode mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it's a reminder of her being forced into yeah. a place she does not belong yeah uh again very expensive you know great gesture and all that mm-hmm. um and then finally, of course, we have in this episode, you know, a very, very expensive gesture from a father to a son as a kind of, I I, sh- I gotta do something, anything, oh my god, what do I do to make mm-hmm. my son happy? Uh, give him a fucking gem, there we go. Don't swallow it, you little swerp. It is kind of nice that you can have the themes, like the sort of macro theme, but then like the individual yes. stories can emphasize something different. I agree. All right, let's talk about the Sanimosa moment. Man, I've, I've been I've been banking this joke ever since I watched this. But like, you know, I'm just I, I'm just gonna say I hope that Seiki turns out like you know that he's not just into Tanimoso for the rocks that she got. You know what I mean? <laughs> of course. I have no shame. I have no shame. You will never make me embarrassed about doing stupid stuff like that, folks. She, I'm so sorry. She invited him to a rock show, which is great. You know what? When do we get the you know mineralogist cover of that Blink One Eighty Two song? <laughs> Which one? Uh, rock show. <laughs> oh, oh! I didn't know that. That was a, oh damn! That uh, is that one of the most popular songs from like the from like the two thousands. Oh really? So I know all the small things is the is the one that oh that's definitely up there. Yeah, that I know. Well, I say the one. I know like Adam. And uh, that one, and maybe like one or two more. Anyway, what the fuck? Why are we talking about Blink-182? Because um, I brought it on because I like <laughs> to ruin the podcast secret. by going on strange tangents that make me look really old. <laughs> your, your secret like love of pop punk. Of oh, I'm so I'm so dated, it's not even funny. Um, I mean, g- give me another year and you'll start seeing like tree rings on my head. You can tell them all down. <laughs> um, uh, I'm right, glad, but yeah. well, you know, fucking Seiji and his, like, just complete lacking of a spine to I, I, ask allow me to quote what allow me to quote what i said to you in discord which is say you limp dick noodle <laughs> just what are you doing come on man i'm just God. glad tani moto is a woman who knows what's up and knows what she wants and she's just like look come to this mineral show with me give me your number i'll text you let me let me do the heavy lifting here in terms of starting this relationship and thank mm-hmm. God for her. And Segi, you're a, you're a lucky man. <laughs> if this you, if this ends up uh, in in uh, you know if this breaks right for you, man, you know like if they ever do end up getting married or engaged, like he is gonna have the hardest, oh, most ball busting time picking an engagement ring out. You can dude, imagine that's gonna suck. He's gonna have to go shopping with Richard for the ring, no doubt. Oh man, can you imagine Richard as best man? <laughs> Dude, he would be <laughs> such a savage in the <laughs> when I 
When I first met Seigi, I was uh, I was distinctly unimpressed by his droll and you know ineffable. Like, sorry, uh, in elegant manner. Yes. And I'm afraid not much has changed since then. <laughs> and years later, he's still the same guy. Um, oh, and- can can you imagine? Like, I, I'm gonna bet you though. Like this this rock show that they're going to. Uh, I'm gonna bet you Rich is gonna be an exhibitor there. Oh, there's no question. You, and I bet you this is where the love triangle kicks Da-na-na. in. <laughs> it's gonna happen. It's I gonna be like a it. love square, though, right? Love square? Is there a fourth person? Oh no, wait. I guess no. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of. Uh, it won't be asymmetrical. It'll it'll go in all directions. Uh, oh man, like, it, I can't. I I I do like think stuff like. I could see like a plot line developing from this where if indeed Tanimosa does meet Richard and they kind of hit it off in that way that is on the outside, like, you know, they are definitely, you know, they're boning, uh, but in reality is not, as is often, you know, something that can happen. Um, I wonder like how Seiyu will handle that because I think it would be a reasonable plot thread if done correctly and if he weren't such a twerp about it. For him to be jealous of Richard for like having all the like, conversation with Tanimosa, I can see him having because he's just so knowledgeable. Uh-huh. But then, like you know, learning that he has things about himself that Tanimosa finds appealing, yeah, um, that are nothing to do necessarily with gems or even just the way he talks about them. You know, yeah, I I can see a lot of potential from this, like you know, to develop him as a character. Like that's the thing that you and I have discussed about love triangles in Macross, in that. They can serve on their own as an exercise for shippers, which is fine. Like, you know, fan, you know, fan banter, fan discussion, like even like we've had about Julia Rich where we talks about stupid shit like him having a big cat. Like, that's fun in its own right. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But to me, a great love triangle is one where you actually use it to develop the characters independently of their romantic relationships, the inside that. Where they learn to be better people from, you know, dealing with the love triangle, like and the idea of competition. I mean, that's what happened to Ranker in Macross, after all. It's true. Know? And that was yeah. one of the best moments in, in Frontier. So, we, we, we'll we see. Here's hoping. I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping that Seiki's not too much of a twerp about it, though. I'm just still thinking about the the wedding and Richard serving as best man, like, and all the <laughs> everything happening. Like, I can't... I'm stuck there, man. I You, you lost <laughs> me back at that. I mean, thinking about, what would the stag do be? The bachelor party? Just be like, dudes oh, sitting around eating, eating cake. He'd be just be like, "Isn't this great? Isn't this the pinnacle of human civilization?" <laughs> and um, and his Richard, friends would like, "Can I, we I watch know, a movie? Where do we go to the strip club?" <laughs> I, I know, I know. We discussed like you know about going to this bar and something, but all you've done all day is eat cake. <laughs> and he says nothing. He just like sticks his pinky out farther <laughs> on, his, <laughs> on his mug. <laughs> God, I don't, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how that would go. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of the fun things about this show is that you and I can just like, and, and others as we've had with our patrons, we can just have fun playing around with the characters in, the, in our own little head canon, and that in of itself is amusing. Completely, uh, completely. All right, I think, I think we're over to you. I, I'm otherwise all talks out. I think I've said everything I need to. Um, Again, just to reiterate, though, like, I appreciate the nuance of, like, hey, the dad is the one in the wrong, but he's not wrong because he's a, you know, completely abusive prick, yes. like is often the case. There's there's, there's a nice bit of nuance to this, like, you know, mm-hmm. and dimension to it. And I also really like, by the way, the ending scene where they pay the do the pinky promise, which, you know, pinky promise is fun in its own right. But it really, I think, helps see, like, Capstone, like, Hajime's little journey here where he comes in all gruff and serious, but he resumes being just a regular kid and his dad meets him on that. Mm-hmm. Which I think is yeah. a neat I think it's a neat moment. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um it's only small, mind you, but it's still good. So yeah, overall, like I like this episode a lot much as I did with the others. I still wouldn't call it like the best example of dealing with, you know, father son relationship and I mean I'm sure I can think of others if I find them. Um but Jula Richard just continues to be consistent and consistently good at that, which is always welcome. And hey, we got more Tanimoto this week, you know, so that's my, you know, drug fix done. Hell yeah. Um, I I echo all the sentiments that you that you gave. Um, and I did, you know, I, I'll share with the group what I told you uh, in Discord, that after watching this episode, I made myself some honey milk. 
by the end by the end of this doc, you and I are gonna both be smoking cigars, <laughs> you know, and drinking and drinking whiskey, like swirling it around in our, in the palms of our hands. Oh yes, this episode of Jewel Richard was a right whimsical delight. <laughs> it was. A... Now, if you'd excuse me, excuse me, I must go down to the local tailors in, uh, in deepest London. <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> I'm due for a game of billiards um, mm-hmm. with uh, with the the Moose Lodge. Um, it's like. Uh, have I ever described myself as bourgeoisie? <laughs> well, I have now. Here... <laughs> God. Here's how um, I made it, in case anyone wants to, you know, replicate the experiment. Um, so I did two cups of almond milk, um, heated until it was frothing, and then I added uh, two teaspoons of honey, uh, four drops of vanilla extract, and then a liberal dusting of cinnamon, stirred it all around, waited for it to cool a little bit. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Nice, nice. Um, I'm unfortunately probably resigned to never being a true Jeweler Richard fan because I don't drink hot drinks, period. So You don't drink... I'm sorry, you cut out for it. You don't drink milk? I, I, no, I drink milk, okay. but I just don't drink hot drinks, period. Oh, yeah. I'm, I tip it... Well, not coffee? I, I just... It's everything. There's not a single hot drink that I will drink. You, just because well, I don't... How do you drink coffee? Do you just drink it iced? I, I don't drink coffee, period. I know that I know that you're currently like really, really struggling to deal with that. No, look, 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 I, look. It's I, I didn't discover coffee until later on. Well, so you're in your early thirties. I had definitely come around on coffee by then. But for most of my twenties I didn't drink it, but holy shit, man, you're missing out. Coffee is incredible. I, I mean, Doc, I take umbrage with you revealing my age to be thirty, you know, my early thirties on this podcast. I think it's offensive that you would put that out there in the public and tell people out like that I'm that old when in reality I'm actually twenty thousand years old. He get it right, man. Come on, we've discussed this. You know, the anime girls do it. You also can do it. Yeah, but there's there's a reason you don't see any like, you know, twenty thousand year old like balding men. <laughs> God, anime's got some fucked up shit going on. I'll just say that much. I mean, ugh. that's a discussion for a different podcast though. Anyway, um I suppose that brings us to the end then. Uh, before actually, do you want to wrap up with anything else, stop before we go? I mean, I think I've said what I I had another silly point, but honestly, I feel like it would maybe I'll save it for a time when I have you know, less to talk about. Uh, hmm. but, but no, I, you know, um, I have, I have exhausted my quiver of arrows here and I, um, I just echo again what you said that I really, I really enjoyed this episode an awful lot. I thought it was just really, really pleasant. Um, I watched it after working out again and it was, um, it was lovely, lovely to sit hmm. down with it. Indeed, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes uh, this week, as a matter of fact, tomorrow evening at the time of recording. Uh, By which point, by the way, we should be back onto a regular once-per-week schedule, hopefully. Provided nothing crazy happens, because that's just our lives. Uh, Crazy things always be be happening. (laughs) Yeah. Best laid plans of of Shads and Doc, eh? You know? Uh, Knock on wood, you know, for me. (laughs) <laughs> basically <laughs> i will i will my friend anyway uh, that brings us to the end so thank you very much for listening uh thank you very much for our patrons for offering more questions always good to get those and again if you're interested in becoming a patron of warrior desh show to help support us financially uh feel free to look us up on patreon.com forward slash warrior desh show we've got free tiers two three and five dollars respectively get yourself a number of benefits from each you get yourself discord access to uh you know where we host game nights and stuff you can ask questions on there chat with our fellow patrons we also have early access to this very uh, series going on week on week plus the ability to help us choose what we cover for second stream next season and in turn if you subscribe to five dollars or higher you can even get yourself you know the right to ask myself or doc to cover an anime of your choosing in a long form essay format there's plenty of great stuff that you know you get there for your money so do check it out and in turn if you know if you don't want to support us financially totally fine i get that i understand that um, all I would ask is if you have a moment, you know, give this uh, podcast a like, subscribe, a follow and a share, click the bell, whatever, you know, buttons might be available on whatever platform you've got this on. Uh, just help with our discoverability. It really, really does help. And if you've got any feedback, of course, we'll hear out too. You can find us at WarriDesho on Twitter and WarriDesho at gmail.com if you want to email in. Always happy to hear constructive feedback, folks. 
Otherwise, that takes us to the end. Uh, thank you again. I hope you've enjoyed your time with us covering Jewel of Richard episode three. We'll be back this week with episode four. Um, and until then, as always, folks, embrace each other, everyone. To the end of the universe. Good night. Mwah. Good night. Good night.